Welcome to the G Truth. We are back to talk more on the truth. And I want to start off with the Indiana Pacers, talking about them and how the Victor Oladipo injury is going to affect them. So if you don't know, he, I believe, injured his right tendon. Um, and so they're right now thinking that it's going to be a season ending uh, injury, and they confirmed that it is, which is always sad to see a, a player go down with, with someone like that. But I, de- I definitely think that uh, he'll be back and better than ever, uh, ju- just because he has that, he has that me- mentality for it. Um, after that uh, Pacers team lost to the Cavaliers in seven games last last year in the playoffs, he immediately right after the game called up his trainer and said, "I don't, I want to get in the gym and get better." So I know that he has that mentality, and I'm and I'm pretty sure that he'll 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 do what he needs to do to get better and get get to where he needs to be and be better than he was this season, even though he played spectacular this season. But the Pacers right now are the third seed in the in the East. Sitting at thirty-two and fifteen, they're two and a half games behind the number one seed, and they're the second best defensive team in the whole league. But they're also twenty-first in scoring, showing that their defense really is what carries them to victories. They don't blow out teams; they more of win against teams by making sure that they that they aren't able to get as many points as they should be getting to to win. So that that's really carries the Pacers defense rather than offense. But old but Victor Oladipo was that guy for them. He was he was their leading scorer. He was surrounded by decent shooters like Bogdanovich, Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, DeMontis Sabonis. And he's a big guy but he can still shoot. Same with Miles Turner. And the thing about the Pacers is that everyone takes good shots. They just don't make them as much as they they would like considering that they're twenty first in scoring, and they don't have like a heavy group of shooters all around them, so this, so they aren't able to space out the floor as much, but they still shoot the ball and take good shots inside the paint mainly though. But Oladipo he he's a good defender, but he's their main leader for everything on offense, and he's the head of that whole squad. Now I think that the Pacers will still do well without him, but this takes them down a notch from being title contenders that that they could kind of sneak into the conversation of with uh, Oladipo there just because of that defense that they have. And that defense will still be there with him out, but that offense will hurt a lot more because I don't know how they'll incorporate uh, a new starting lineup with Oladipo out. Are they going to have Darren Collison starting, Bogdanovich starting, Corey Joseph starting? Demonte Sabonis starting, or Thad Young starting, or Miles Turner uh, starting. They're all good players, but none of them have that it factor that Oladipo had. But I think that they'll do well for the season. They'll definitely be in the playoffs. I don't see them sliding way too far down. They'll maybe end up in the five seed. I don't see the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets going up that high, and the Boston Celtics right there. 76ers are at four seed. I think that both of those teams will go up and the Pacers will be pushed down to the five seed just but since it's so close in that area right now. And they lost their 
their their their guy. But they'll be in the playoffs. They won't be a, a huge threat. Probably will end up in a first round exit, and if not first round, then second round, and that's it for them in, in the playoffs this year. But it, it's still definitely a really good sign for things to come in the future for them. Next, I want to talk about the 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers. They have been locked in defensively and offensively since they had a, a nail-biter loss against the Atlanta Hawks. At home, too. Uh, the score was 123-121. to They lost at home to the Hawks. Now, since then, the 76ers have gone on to beat the Knicks, completely obliterate the, the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves with a score of 149-107, to obliterate the Pacers right after. In Indiana, 120-96, to they lost to the Thunder by two points, and then went on to blow out the Rockets at home, 121-83. to now, that game was just completely, no, not 83, 93. But either way, that game was completely dominated by the Rockets, uh, not the Rockets, the 76ers, as they were up by, I believe, 30 points at one point. And if not 30 points, probably more. And then they beat the Spurs 122 to 120. The Spurs are always a tough team to beat just because of Greg Popovich and because they pass the ball and take high-efficiency high uh, shots. During that whole stretch... That that uh, six game stretch where they went five and one, they are allowing one hundred six point three points per game. That is insanely good. They're and they're scoring one twenty two point five points per game. That that's up that sets up for a uh, point differential margin of. 16.2 points per game, which means that they are dominating their opponents. And these are good opponents. Timberwolves, although not, they're not great, but to score 149 on them and blow them up by 42 points, I would say that's a pretty good accomplishment. They beat the Knicks, not a great team, but it's a win, so I'll take it. But they beat the Pacers in the blowout. The Pacers, like I said before, the second best Defensive team in the whole league, they blew them out by 24 points. In Indiana, might I say. And then they blow out the Rockets, holding holding them to 93 points. One of the best offensive in, offenses in the league that relies so heavily on the three-pointer. They hold them to only 93 points while scoring 121 points. And, and then the Spurs game got a bit out of hand, but they still clung on to the victory there. And I think a lot, and I think a lot of this has to do with Embiid doing really, really well in the second half now, rather than before where he had great first half games, but then in the second half he was super fatigued, and just wasn't able to put up that same dominance and effort, I guess. But now, but now we see him doing a bit more of that, and then JJ Reddick's been doing really well. Uh, I think his name is Landry Shamit. Has been playing pretty well, uh, and this has been with I believe Jimmy Butler being out for some of these games. So, I mean, they're pretty set to take over that number three spot that the Pacers have, and I think that they will. I don't. Think, I don't think that the Celtics are consistent enough to overtake that. 
or or compete for that spot currently. I want to move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And yes, I know that I mentioned them losing to the... Uh, or actually beating the 76ers, my bad. Which goes on to show how impressive this team is, actually. But I want to focus on a specific trend here. They do extremely well when Westbrook does not shoot the ball. Heavily, I might add. He can shoot the ball, and that's fine for them. But as long as he isn't a volume shooter. He is having his uh, worst three-point shooting year since his rookie season. He is shooting the two-pointer in a very in a very mediocre fashion. It's not his best year. No, it's worst year. It's right in the middle. And then he's shooting his career low free throw percentage, and it's in the mid sixty percent tile. Not not percent mid sixty percent. So that's pretty bad for a point guard. It's pretty bad. But the Thunder, nevertheless, are fourteen and three when Westbrook shoots less than twenty shots. So that's nineteen or less shots. And they're 14 and 3. However, they're 10 and 12 when he shoots 20 or more shots. This has to do with since he's shooting those shots, it's not allowing him to do other things that he's great at, such as passing and rebounding. When he's shooting, he's not going to be able to rebound uh, on, on the glass for, off, for the offense. And he's a great rebounder. Even though people will say that he has his teammates uh, go down the field, or not field, uh, down, down the court, so that he can get those rebounds and stat pad, quote-unquote. He's, just watch him play. He's still a great rebounder. He can still rebound over tall guys. On the other team, I'd add. But when he doesn't have the opportunity to do that, because he's shooting from long distance from the three, it minimizes his effect when he's not able to pass it by an open guy because he's got great court vision. He's a great passer. He's very athletic. And that allows him to make very, very nice passes and be able to orientate his body in certain ways to get that pass off. He's a great passer. But he isn't able to do that as much when he's shooting the ball. He has everything else great except for shooting right now. He's averaging a triple-double again for the third season in a row, might I add. And he's a great defender as well. So I think for him, it's, it's okay if he shoots. It's okay. It helps throughout the defense, make, make sure that, that, that the, that the uh, defense plays honest. But as long as he doesn't become a volume shooter for them, they're going to be fine. Because they, they already got Paul George who can be that guy. They just need Westbrook. To play really well on defense and do everything else offensively, except for shooting the ball as a volume scorer. Now I'm gonna move on to my last team that I want to talk about, which will be the Utah Jazz. Like I said earlier in my very first episode, that I believe that the Jazz would come back from being the 14th team, I believe at that time. 13 or 14th uh, team in the West and come back into the playoff race. They're currently 7th in the playoff uh, standings in the Western Conference at 27 and 22. So that's really good for them. And so I've been right. 
they they went back to their identity from last season, being a great defensive team, as well as shooting very very well from the three point uh, line, from the three point area. And I think a lot of that has to do for the three point part, has to do with the acquisition of Kyle Korver, who's a knockdown three point shooter who fits really well in their system, as a catch and shoot guy, as a guy who can come around uh, screens, and just shoot the ball really easily, and that plays very very well. For them at home, because you know they got really, really great fans. I'm talking about great fans, not like personally, because I don't, I don't know their fans. But I know that they are great fans in the sense of being loud and super supportive of their team and disruptive for the opposing teams. So I think that factored into it, and then also just the law of averages that they're not going to shoot horrible forever. But then defensively, they have three players. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and and um, Joe Ingles. That's the third guy. Who are, all of them are top ten in defensive wingers. Now, their stats like steals, blocks, it, w- it won't show for that. Except for maybe uh, Rudy Gobert. But it just shows their impact on the defensive side of the ball. And that's really what helps them make sure that the other team can't score more than them. As well as that three-point shot to help extend the leads. Or come back from deficits very, very quickly and get back into the game so that they can play lockdown defense. And make sure that they win the games early on. In their last eight games, they've been 7-1. and one, And they've been averaging 13.125, or you can just say 13, made three-point shots. Per game. Do I think that they'll be consistent with this for the rest of the season? I don't think that they're going to be, you know, shooting that well from the three-point line, but they will be winning. They will be winning, and, and that defense will stay consistent. They allowed only a hundred eight points against the against the Denver Nuggets. Now, did the Utah Jazz play a great offensive game there? No, they scored one hundred fourteen points. But they still won because of their defense. Same with the game against the uh, Portland Trailblazers. They allow 109 points in a loss as the Jazz only scored 104 points. But again, around that 109-108 region. In a, blow, in a blowout win against the declining Clippers, they held them to 109 points. You can look at their schedule when they've been winning. They've been holding teams to below 110 points. Consistently, might I add. That they're going to continue winning because of their defense. And they're finally getting back to that. And that three-point shot is going a long way to helping them. And so far right now, they seem like the winners of that Kyle Korver pickup. Now, one thing I want to talk about is the Memphis Grizzlies really quickly. I, I, I did say that the Jazz was going to be the last team that I'm analyzing them they are, but I just want to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies really quickly. So, they fired uh, David Fisdale in the offseason last season. 
And part of it was that they felt that because of Marcus All, that he, that he wasn't the right coach, he wasn't the right guy for them. Look at where they are at right now. 19 and 29. 14th team in the West. Right ahead of the Phoenix Suns and behind the Dallas Mavericks. They're on a current seven-game losing streak, which is tied with the New York Knicks for the longest winning streak currently, as of right now. Not even the Phoenix Suns nor the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing that bad right now or are on a uh, losing streak equal or greater than that. So I don't think that that, that uh, David Fisdale was a problem. I didn't think that he was the problem when, when they fired him and announced the news. And I still don't think that he was a problem now. Yes, the New York Knicks are not doing great currently. But look at their roster. David Fisdale is coaching them. But look at their roster. It's, it's, it's been pretty bad for them. But I'm telling you, he was not the problem with the Memphis Grizzlies. They're... 14th in the West after having a great start. And no one really thought that they were going to maintain that just because of the way that they're constructed. They're not a great offensive team. They, they, they can play well on the defensive side. But when that offense does not come to play and do its part, that defense, that defensive effort becomes in vain. So they really so they announced this past week that they were gonna put uh, Mike Conley, their star point guard, and Mark Gasol, their star center, on the trade block and are open to suggestions uh, from other teams. And they're still on contract, so they don't need to trade them away. But just to get a feel around of uh, what teams would want them, stuff like that. I'm gonna go through all the teams in the Western Conference and I'm gonna say which teams need either of those players. The Warriors, no. Nuggets, no. Thunder, no. All those teams have great centers, great point guards. Trailblazers, no. They don't need a point guard slot. They don't need a center slot. They're already set there. Houston Rockets, we already know. They don't need that. Spurs, probably not. I don't really see them needing Mike Conley or Marcus Hall. They definitely do not need Marcus Hall. Mike Conley is more interesting for them, but I don't think that he'll go there or that the Spurs really need him or want him really the Jazz we know that he doesn't uh, or that they don't because they already got Rudy Gobert at center and they got Donovan Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio as their point guards and coming off the bench Dante Exum who's been playing pretty well and then the Clippers who have been declining might show interest in Mike Conley but they're still in a quote unquote rebuilding stage so I doubt that they'll really go after Mike Conley. The Lakers don't really need him. Uh, Kings don't really need him. Timberwolves don't need him. All those teams, aside from the Lakers, are getting into competing mode, but also kind of uh, finishing off their rebuilding stages. Now, the Pelicans are interesting for the point guard slot, but I still don't think that they really need uh, Mike Conley in the point guard area. Uh, Mavericks don't need him. And the Suns definitely don't need them. Now, moving on to the East, because I believe that they'll be traded over there. The Bucks do not need them. 
the Raptors do not need him. Th- that is plain and simple. The the Milwaukee Bucks already have a formula that's working with Brooke Lopez out there, and same with Malcolm Brogdon and Eric Bledsoe out there. That's been working for them. They're winning. They don't need to fix anything. The Raptors don't need to fix anything either. I think they already got Kyle Lowry, and they got uh, Siakam, Valanciunas, uh, Ibaka, Greg Monroe. Great players. They don't really need anyone. Extra, and they've been fine. You know, the Pacers, who are the third seed, I think might express interest in in uh, Mike Conley as an upgrade over Darren Collison so that they can maintain some sort of threat in the playoffs. But do I think that they should do the, do a trade for Mike Conley? No. No, because I don't think that that would pay off as well. And I think that, especially with the Oladipo injury happening, they got to maintain that core together for as long as possible. Because they cannot have some sort of fracture. It's just about team chemistry at this point for them. And I think that introducing Mike Conley for them would be a bit too much stuff going on for them, especially with Oladipo being injured. The 76ers do not need any of those players. They already got Ben Simmons at the point guard and Joel Embiid at the center. They're set. Boston Celtics are set as well with Kyrie and Al Horford at those spots. Now, the Brooklyn Nets one is more interesting for me. I don't think that they need Marcus Gasol on the and then that's because they already got Jarrett Allen. But I think that if they want to take that next step this year immediately, then I think that they trade for Mike Conley. I think they do. Mainly because although Spencer Dinwiddie's been great, although D'Angelo Russell's been great, they need a guy who's already been somewhat proven as a quote-unquote Star. He's not. Mike Conley is like kind of a star, but not really there. But he's definitely better than Spencer Dinwiddie and possibly D'Angelo Russell. I think it'd be interesting for the Nets to do this, but I think that they should also hold off on trading for Mike Conley as. They can have some sort of role in free agency with all that money that they have opened up for, I believe it's one or two max players. It's at least one that, like, star players that, that, that they can sign in free agency this offseason. Now, the Hornets, I believe, should make a play for Marcus Hall, for sure. Because who's their starting center? Who is it? Cody Zeller? Is that a Cody Zeller or Tyler Zeller? Whoever it is isn't great. Cody Zeller. Their two bigs are Marvin Williams and Cody Zeller. Yeah, I think that Marcus Saul is a definite upgrade over both both of those guys. And both of those guys play their roles just fine on the Hornets. But the Hornets are a below 500 team. With Kemba as really the only guy that has been consistent for most of the season for that team. Malik Monk has shown flashes of what I saw in uh, Kentucky and, and what he could be, how great he could be. Miles Burgess has been 
a highlight reel at times. But Kemba's been the only guy that's really been doing stuff for them. And he's, and he's been doing great, but the, but they need another guy desperately. And I think that, that guy would be Marcus Gasol at the very least. Because they're not a free agent destination. They're not. So they're only going to get players through trades. And I think that this will help them in two ways. It'll get a somewhat proven proven a star center on their team who they desperately need to, to fill a role there and as an upgrade. But then this also shows Kemba Walker that, hey, we are willing to build around you and put the pieces around you to win. So so that's just another way of convincing Kemba to to stay in Charlotte and to sign there. The Miami Heat, I don't think that they really need Marc Gasol or Mike Conley. Um, the Mike Conley one's a bit more interesting, I think, for the Miami Heat, but I think that they find their or found their groove a, a bit more with Justice Winslow running point instead of small forward. And they already got Bam Adebayo as, I believe, the center for them. So I think that they're fine there. They're, they're also a young team trying to trying to get experience, and I don't think that adding a, a player like that would, would really help move along. And then the list goes on. For them, they're for for the East, and they're all below five hundred teams. They're they're all not gonna go for either Marcus Hall or Mike Conley, except for maybe the Pistons for Mike Conley, because they're definitely gonna keep uh, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. But that point guard spot is a bit more shaky for them. Um, just consistency wise and someone who's a scorer and a defender wise because defensively they're all right but offensively they're just not there so I think that Mike Conley might be kind of nice for them uh, because he can play some defense so adding to that side of the basketball with Andre Drummond and Blake uh, Griffin and then also helping Blake Griffin take on the scoring load, because right now it's also just Blake Griffin. And he cannot run point forward for the whole game. So so that's my take on the whole rumor around, or not rumor anymore, but on the whole Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol uh, trade destinations. I have Charlotte, Detroit maybe for Mike Conley, and Brooklyn. And possibly Indiana. I do not like the Indiana or Brooklyn ones at all. I don't like the Indiana trade the most. The Brooklyn one I'm okay with, but it's not really my preference for Brooklyn. And then Charlotte and Detroit I I really like for uh, Mark Gasol and Mike Conley. Anyways, thank you for listening to The G-Truth. If you are listening on, um, Apple on Apple Podcasts, be sure to, to uh, subscribe so that you get instant notifications of when I come out with an episode. If you're on Anchor, uh, follow, subscribe, all that stuff. If you're on Spotify, follow. 
on any other uh, podcast app. Make sure that you do whatever version there is on that app of of uh, subscribing or following, all that stuff. And then if you want, leave a re- review telling, my, telling me uh, what I can do better in so that, you know, it, it, it becomes a great experience for you and me, both of us. Viewer, listener, and uh, commentator, and analyst, I guess. Uh, but anyways, thank you for listening. It's the G-Truth. G-Truth out. Peace.